Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Beat. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Beat. I'm your host for the evening, Mike Carter, living in the gray and dreary Midwest, waiting for pitchers and catchers to report next week. Um, I'm here, as always, with my intrepid co-host, diehard New York Yankee fan, Chris Torres. Torres, how are you doing tonight? What's up, Mike? I'm doing good. I'm excited. We're now only 15 days away from spring training games. Listen, man, it's been a cold and dark winter so far, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I know the stars are aligning as there is a famous number 15 who played for my favorite team as well as a team that we'll be discussing today. Do you know who that is? Come on, Mike. Well, I was, I, I, when you said 15, my automatic thought always is Thurman Munson. But I know that Thurman Munson only played Thurman for Thurman Munson the- did not play for the Astros, bro. No, he did not. No, he did not. Uh more I'm, way more I'm, recent than that. I'm stumped too. Carlos Beltran, Beltran, the mastermind of one of the greatest cheating scandals in the history of professional oh, sports. Grief. The man who stole a championship from the Yankees in 2017. The man who for some reason the Yankees decided to hire as a TV analyst last season and who failed pretty miserably at it. But no, I'm I'm not bitter at all. No, uh, never. No, never. But uh, listen, man, it's just everything is coming together. Um, Happy to be here with you. Uh, And we got a great guest with us today. Yes, we do. We have a friend of the program who last time we spoke to was covering a different team in a totally different state. With us tonight is Matt Kawahara, who covers the Houston Astros now for the Houston Chronicle. Great newspaper down there. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matthew at Matthew Kawahara. Matt. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back on with us. How are things? Yeah, no, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me back. Things are different since uh, since we talked last for sure, but I'm trying to still get to know this uh, this Astros beaten team. It's really interesting to go from the athletics to the Astros, I bet. <laughs> yeah, very different, very different scenario, obviously. Uh, don't have to worry about where they're going to be playing next year. Um, and just like from a you know competitive roster standpoint, everything really, it's just sort of obviously in completely different situations. Although the A's did come into Houston toward the end of last season and, and win a pretty convincing series against the Astros. So you never know what can happen go head to head. But big picture, big picture was uh, that, was, that was, is not how the year played out. It's interesting. So, Matt, we'll lead off tonight by asking you about the big news of the day today, which was that Jose Altuve signed an extension to remain in Houston with the Astros. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that impacts the team moving forward? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, going into at least before uh, Tuesday, yesterday, um, one of the big storylines going into camp was going to be the fact that that both Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman were coming up on the last year of their contracts and they were you know, potentially going to be hitting free agency after the season. And, and what was that going to mean for the Astros in terms of their golden era, their you know, contending window, um, mm-hmm. how, how long that was going to extend going forward. Uh, and obviously they, they reached this agreement with Jose Altuve. It's a five year, $125 million extension that kicks in starting with the 2025 season. So it will, carry through 2029 uh, that'll be his age 39 season 
Altuve had previously said that he wanted to retire in Astro, and uh, he made that you know pretty abundantly clear. And uh, I think you know he he was a big. I mean, just just his that being such a priority for him really kind of greased the pe- greased the wheels, paved the way for for the sides to get this done before camp starts. Uh, it's going to pay him thirty million dollars for each of the first three years, and then ten million dollars for the uh, the final two years. Which, I mean, you could. You could, I guess, look ahead and project that maybe there's going to be some regression there. I mean, he'll be 38 and 39 years old, but so far, aside from the fact that last year he only played in 90 games because of some injuries, uh, he is still producing offensively at a really high clip. So um, I think, you know, just from a a peace of mind standpoint, but for Altuve and also for, uh, I guess, I don't know if you want to call it morale, but he's such an important part of their organization and their clubhouse and their team that to have this done uh, a few days before the, the, the team or at least pitching catchers report to camp down there, I think is a, is a pretty resounding and a pretty positive way for them to kind of go into spring training. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the clubhouse is already going to look different, right? Because Dusty Baker obviously is, is not going to be there. Um, so I want to ask you a little bit about that, Matt, how is, Dusty not being there, how do you think that impacts the team and how do you think the lineup might change uh, without him there? I know many people in the fantasy community, you know, there was like a celebration on Twitter, (laughs) you know, after uh, they found out about Dusty retiring because it was like, all right, we got Kyle Tucker now at the top of the lineup. Chaz McCormick is free. Yainer Diaz is free. Like these guys are playing every day. But, you know, I I don't know. I I think maybe we need to kind of slow our roll a little bit. We don't know what Joe Espada is going to do. So do you have any insight into how things are going to change with the new manager? Yeah, we don't know really yet as far as like lineup decisions. I think that'll be one interesting thing to keep an eye on, obviously, when when, uh, spring training games start. Um, with, uh, With the guys that you're talking about, I mean, the top of their lineup is so strong that when you when you talk about Tucker, like where where you would move Tucker up to potentially, I mean, with the top looking like you know Altuve and, and Bregman and and Alvarez ahead of Tucker, I don't know who you would necessarily um, sub him in for or where where you would put him above any of those guys. I know at some points last year they dropped Bregman down to uh, to the cleanup spot. Uh, there were times when Pena hit second, which I don't think you're going to see very much, at least to start out this year. Um, but like Bregman got on, gets on base, uh, and is such a sort of competitive at bat every time that to have Altuve and him as, as maybe the table setters for Jordan Alvarez, who, who showed, has showed and, and showed again in the playoffs last year that he's not just a slugger. He's one of the most advanced hitters, uh, in, in baseball. And then, uh, you know, to have Tucker maybe behind him as, as uh, a little bit of protection. Um, I, I don't know necessarily how much you change that, but with some with the other guys, I mean, they have they have committed to Yanner Diaz being the primary catcher this year. Obviously, they uh, let Martin Maldonado leave in free agency. Um, they signed Victor Caratini to be a sort of a, a veteran backup and a guy who could step in and and be you know, to maybe be a primary catcher for like a week or so if Diaz were to get hurt or something like that. But, but they have said um, that they're going to have Yonder Diaz be there, basically their everyday catcher uh, and get the majority of the reps there. So you're going to see a lot more of him in the lineup. And obviously you saw what he did in, in sort of his more limited 
um, at bats last season. And McCormick, I think, is going to be so they're starting out um, and have said that they're going to start out the season with Jake Myers as their primary center fielder, which means it was, and that came as a little bit of a surprise because I think a lot of people came out of last season thinking that Chaz McCormick had done enough to maybe establish himself as the primary center fielder, but they're going to give Myers because largely because of his defense, a chance to play center field regularly. And then it sounds like McCormick is going to play a lot of left, uh, which means that Jordan Alvarez would be DHing quite a bit. Um, you know, maybe there, there are some days where Alvarez does play left and McCormick slides over to, to center field because they also want to give Jose Abreu more off days this season because they think that will help him uh, avoid some of the struggles that he went through last year. Obviously, he had the back issue. So um, so they're probably – I mean, there there maybe will be some, some lineup changes. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but uh, that will be definitely something to keep an eye on, I guess, when they start getting into that period of spring where you're seeing more of the regulars out there. Yeah. I mean, to me, it seems like Tucker would make sense in the two hole, like right after Altuve. So you could break up the the righties and lefties and and just like getting Tucker more at bats seems like the play. Right. I mean, the guy is an all world hitter. Um, I I don't know. I just always like and many of us in the fantasy community have been baffled by why Dusty decided to always keep him like fifth or most of the time, keep him fifth or lower. Uh, it just seems like get get your best player as many at bats as possible, but uh, I mean we'll yeah, see. Yeah, well, they, I think there was a there was definitely a phase there. Um, I've heard that where you know Dusty wanted to, he didn't want to bat Alvarez and Tucker back to back because of what you said. He wanted to break up the lefties, um, and because of that, I think you, you saw Jose Abreu in the cleanup spot for a lot of last season, and Tucker batting behind him a little bit. Uh, I, I think both Alvarez and Tucker have done enough at this point hitting against lefties to show that it's not that big of an issue if they are, you know, slotted back to back sometimes. Um, maybe there are times where you do want to break them up a little bit, but yeah, I mean, that would, that would be an interesting look. Um, I, again, it'll, we'll kind of see where, where they, uh, where they land going into the season, but, but Tucker is another guy where he works, works counts, um, draws a lot of walks and so yeah we'll see. and also also bring the speed element i mean he came one home run shot of a 30 30 season last year so maybe if you have that up uh, a little bit higher in the lineup too that that could play some more but yeah something to keep an eye on man uh, one of the interesting things that the astros did in the offseason that i don't think a lot of people saw coming was signing josh Hader. Uh, obviously he adds an element to the back of their bullpen that really makes them even more lethal than what they were with Ryan Presley having been the closer there. Can you talk a little bit about that decision and how you feel that's going to impact the Astros bullpen moving forward this year? They have some really good arms at the back end of that pen. Yeah, clearly it gives them one of, if not the best sort of back end bullpen trio uh, in baseball. And and what they haven't done yet is designate a closer. It does sound like at some point they are going to pick – uh, or anoint either Hader or Presley as as the closer. Um, that's something that Joe Espada said after they signed Hader that he does prefer to have you know those high leverage end of game guys know what their role is so that they know when they're pitching. Um, but at that point and so far they haven't been you know they haven't been ready to say who it's going to be. Now I mean Hader's contract 
of five million or five years, ninety-five million dollars. That that would really suggest that he's coming into close games. And, Agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't I don't know that there's any you know argument against that. I, I I'm sure that there is a little bit of you know a situation here that they're having to navigate with Ryan Presley, who has been really really good for them and, and did nothing to uh to sort of forfeit his job here i mean he's been an important part of their uh their their run over the last well i mean he he took over his closer basically in 2020 so they were on over the last four years and perfect 14 for 14 in postseason save chances uh got the last out to the world series in 2022 i mean he's he's been their guy as uh, I think Lance McCullers described it as like, he's been the guy for them and mm-hmm. he didn't do anything to really uh, see that job. But at this point, you know, if, if Hader is coming into to close games then maybe that's a little bit of a sort of just something that they're going to have to navigate with Presley. And he hasn't addressed it publicly either. There's, there's been a couple of times where we've you know uh, requested to talk to him, but so far he hasn't said anything. So I assume that he'll talk about it in, uh, in camp. Um, I mean, by all accounts, from both teammates and coaches, um, Ryan Presley is uh, as, about as professional as they come. And I'm sure, you know, if it does come to him moving into a setup role, um, he will, you know, he will adjust. And both Joe Spada and GM Dana Brown have said that they talked to Presley during, before they, you know, got too far down the road in, in the hater thing. They called. They both called and talked to Presley to, to inform him, and they both described Presley as being very professional about it and saying, "Hey, he was, he was in on this edition if it's going to make them a better team." So, I mean, if that's the case and it holds up, then then the back end of their bullpen is really good going forward. The rest of the bullpen is a bit of a question mark. I mean, they have they lost three relievers who were big parts of their their bullpen last three veteran guys and Hector Neris, who's one of their setup guys, Aton mm-hmm. and Ryan Stanek. Uh, all no longer on the team. And so they're having to backfill a lot of innings that, you know, I mean, they, they, they went out and signed Hater, which is a great back-end addition, but in terms of just volume, they're still having to, you know, plug some holes there. So I think what they are hoping is that some of their internal candidates uh, are going to step up and maybe fill some like six, maybe seventh inning or at least middle relief roles. Um, but that's something that is going to have to shake out. I mean, the bullpen really half of the bullpen, maybe if, if there's eight spots, maybe four of those spots could be up for grabs uh, in camp. So that's probably the, the main source of like spring training intrigue for this team. Yeah. It's interesting because I saw the same thing in looking at their roster. They, how they get to those guys at the back end could be a little bit of a question for them going into spring training because Anybody who follows baseball and plays fantasy baseball knows that Abreu, Presley, and Hader is going to be a wicked three-headed monster coming there the seventh and eighth and the ninth inning in whichever order they go in. So that'll be a really interesting thing to kind of watch this spring. Um, another guy, Matt, that has drawn a lot of interest in, in baseball circles is Jeremy Pena. You know, he kind of burst on the scene in the 2022 playoffs and kind of had a subpar year in 2023, although not terrible, I would say, but subpar compared to what a lot of people expected. What do you expect to see from Pena in 2024? Yeah, I think, you know, Pena's postseason in 2022, he was just so, like, unconscious for that whole postseason that I think uh, the expectations that resulted from that were probably maybe a little a little too lofty going into a, a sophomore season. Um, I mean, when you look at some of his, some of his numbers, some of his, like, metrics in, in – Last season, um, he 
know, he cut down his strikeout rate. He raised his walk rate. There were things that he was doing well or better last season than, than he did as a rookie. Um, but the glaring thing that he didn't do was he didn't hit for power in the last uh, half of the season. Um, I don't think he hit a home run in his last 350-odd plate appearances. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, he was uh, he was having trouble um, sort of elevating the ball, driving the ball, um, and that was something. I mean, he, uh, he worked on over the last you know half of the season, but it, it didn't you know produce those those similar results as, as from the guy that hit I think it was twenty two home runs as a rookie. So I would I would think that there is some sort of middle ground there. Um, you know, I think uh, he has said that like he's going to go into camp this year having made some swing adjustments uh he didn't really spell out what those are but uh, i'm sure we'll get a sense of of what that is uh in camp um but last year i think he didn't do as much damage uh on fastballs he really attacked fastballs as uh as a rookie and last year he didn't um didn't do as much damage against uh, four seamers in particular and slap i mean the he went through a phase as a rookie where sliders uh, gave him all kinds of trouble. And he did do a little bit better against sliders. Last night. He cut down the swing and miss on those um, as, and that was part of the strikeout rate going down overall. But, you know, this possibility that putting a little bit more emphasis on, on, uh, you know, guarding against those breaking pitches cost him a little bit of his effectiveness against uh, fastballs and uh, there, I'm sure there were a lot of factors that went into it, but I think, uh, yeah, you know, he's still, he's still a young hitter and he's still a hitter that is sort of developing. So um, I, I think there are positives that he can try to build on from last season going into this year, but the, the, the power, the power is one thing that really, you know, if he, if he's going to, I guess, get back to what uh, that potential that he showed in the, uh, in the rookie season in 2022, that's something that he's really going to have to rediscover. Matt, uh, we were talking off air about uh, Jake Myers, and I was I was asking you. I was in the middle of a fantasy draft, and I'm getting near the end here, and Jake Myers is still on the board. It seems like a lot of fantasy players just don't really consider him. As, uh, I don't know. Maybe they just don't think he's good, or that he, that he might not play enough. What are your expectations for Jake Myers? I mean, is he is he the starting center fielder on opening day? In your opinion. That is what they're saying. Yeah, he's they're they're going to give him a chance to uh, to be the everyday center fielder to open the season and to like basically lock down that job. That's what general manager David Brown said during the winter meetings. Um, and you know, it, I, he didn't spell out specifically, I guess, how long the leash Myers is going to have, but. The way that he described it and the way that Joe Espada has described it is that Myers is going to go into the season as the primary center fielder and, you know, they're going to let him try to win that job. So at least at least to start the season, it sounds like he's going to get a really good shot. I mean, there's he's going to have to show that he can produce offensively maybe more consistently than he has in the last, uh, the last year, year and a half or so. Um, obviously, he did last year I also get a large amount of the, the playing time in center field for the first half of the season and just wasn't able to hold on to that job uh, because of some of the offensive struggles and you saw Chas McCormick getting a lot more time out there. Mauricio Dubon got a lot more time out there in the playoffs um, in the last maybe month of the regular season but but Dubon is a guy where I think his and I think the Astros feel that his real value 
to the team comes as being that super utility guy because how many positions he can play, how many positions he can play well, maybe it doesn't mean that he's, you know, in the lineup every day, but he's just such a valuable piece to be able to plug into wherever they need to that it would maybe behoove them to not have to run him out there in center field every day, even though he did do a pretty good job out there last year. Um, Meyer's defense is really strong. Uh, his, you know, by the metrics, I think he was their best defensive center fielder um, last year. And, uh, you know, he, he went through that little bit of, a, I think, having to come back last year following the collision with the wall where he hurt his shoulder and then maybe tried to play through. Or It's been said that he maybe, you know, that he came back a little bit too early and, and maybe that cost him some uh, – some comfort, especially also, you know, at the plate, maybe led to some of the uh, offensive struggles for the end of the 2022 season. But then, you know, at this point, he's he's healthy. Uh, last year, he played good defense. He just really needs to show that he's got um, that he can make some offensive strides. But but he is going to get that chance from what the Astros are saying. We're here with Matt Kawahara from the Houston Chronicle, covering the Houston Astros, and we're asking him some questions about. The Astros coming up here in the 2024 season. Um, Matt, one of the things that is kind of interesting about the roster as well, and we sort of alluded to it earlier, is that the bench really seems to lack some depth uh, at first glance. Do you see the Astros doing anything to address that as we get towards spring training? Or do you feel like they're content to go with what they have and see how things shake out in spring training? Yeah, I think... um... I mean, the, the other addition or the other potential thing that they, uh, Dana Brown has said that they could pursue or, or might have pursued before the season was uh, sort of left-handed bench bat who could play the outfield. Um, they got sort of that uh, in the last week or so. They, they made a trade with the Angels uh, and they acquired Trey Cabbage, who had been DFA'd by the Angels. So it definitely wasn't like a high-profile move, but Trey Cabbage is – a left-handed hitting outfielder who um, you know had a, had a pretty good, good productive season at AAA last year, even though they was in the PCL and you know those offensive numbers you always take with a grain of salt. But he had a 30-30 season there, and he is a guy that if they do need a versatile outfielder who hits left-handed, he may find a may find his way onto the roster. Um, they have two bench spots that are definitely you know, as you project the roster right now, uh, taken with, with Victor Caratini as the backup catcher and, and Mauricio Dubon. Um, a couple of the other spots, you know, maybe up for grabs. You, you, would, you would think that they're going to, you know, carry a, a backup infielder, uh, whether that's, you know, Greg Kessinger, um, maybe a, uh, you know, maybe David Hensley would be another candidate. Um, John Singleton was on the bench toward the end of last season as that extra left-handed bat because they do only have the two, uh, the two left-handed regulars in, in Alvarez and Tucker. So, um, but Singleton obviously is very limited defensively. He can play some first base movement, but he doesn't, you know, he's, he's probably more of a DH. And so uh, the other maybe up for grab spot would be like, like the fourth outfielder job. And I think Trey Cabbage would be, um, would be one option, but they also have, I think one of the, the interesting things to watch in spring training and, uh, something that Dan Brown has alluded to is the fact that they do have a couple of prospects that they feel pretty good about who are left-handed hitting outfielders. And, you know, was, last month, I mean, uh, Dan Brown was asked about, uh, about Jacob Melton and about uh, Joey Lopofito. Um, 
being in camp and could like really barely contain his excitement about like how, how, how much he's looking forward to seeing those guys play. Uh, and they're also, I mean, he also said that if there is a, a young left-handed hitter um, or really any, I mean, he, he kind of opened it up to like, if there is a young player who makes a really strong impression in camp, he's not afraid to, to give young players opportunities. Like he could find, could they, they could find a way to, if there is a young unproven player who plays out of his mind in camp and really makes a strong case to be on the roster, they would at least have the conversation about, you know, should we carry uh, this guy instead of somebody who's at least got some experience or is a little more, more proven. So, um, so that, that should be interesting. I think just to see, if there are any of the, the prospects who can come into camp and make that that kind of an impression, uh, but I mean, going back to your going back to your original question, yes, there there are definitely some questions on the bench, um, and the loss of like a, a you know a left-handed hitter in, in Michael Brantley, you're not going to replace Michael Brantley uh, from an offensive standpoint. Um, so you know they're really looking for kind of the, the depth back there, and I think they would probably like to uh to carry that extra left-handed bat if if it's available to them joey loperfito i heard that name for the first time a few weeks ago i'm like ah, that's a that's a fun name and then you know i've, I've seen some uh, a little bit of buzz uh in the fantasy space about him it's kind of a super late round guy um that could get some run there and just pulling him up he's got a good power speed combo uh, went 1920, 296 in uh, AA last year. So, all right, all right. We'll look at a little Joey Luperfito and see what he does in the spring. Um, but uh, Matt wanted to follow up on a few injury, uh, a few injured pitchers for the Astros and see kind of where they're at and when we could expect them to return. And talking specifically about uh, Luis Garcia and Lance McCullers. Yeah, it sounds like they're both uh, sort of on a similar timeline of maybe they could be back by like midseason. I mean, best case scenario, um, Dan Brown has, has projected that both of those guys might be able to be back. Uh, it's it's a little unclear whether it's like be starting rehab assignment by July or be back with major league team by July, but that sort of midseason summer area around the All Star break is, uh, I think. Know, tentatively when they're looking for both of those guys to maybe start, maybe be available or, or at least be close to being available to them. Obviously, um, Garcia is coming back from the Tommy John surgery. Uh, McCullers is coming back from uh, flexor tendon repair. Um, McCullers has said that his rehab has gone well. Um, he was at the Teams Fan Fest in last month and he said that his rehab is going well, but he also made it sound like it was maybe, you know, it hadn't been as fast like getting back to throwing as maybe he had hoped originally so i'm not not entirely sure where he's at at this point at that point he had been throwing out to about 60 feet is what he was saying so they're definitely not going to be you know pitching in games i i would assume uh in spring training i don't think that's that's in the cards but uh but i think you know, the astros are, are tentatively hopeful that they could have both of those guys back uh for the second half um we'll see if that actually plays out and if so how they sort of adjust the rotation or uh if they you know consider either for a bullpen role instead or if they would would have to then move uh a different starter to a bullpen role but as we saw last year with the injuries they did go through um in the rotation you know you might always have to 
change plans. So at this point, it sounds like they're, they're both going to still be in their rehab days uh, when, when we get to camp. Um, but yeah, they're, they're looking at that July window, I think. Matt, you talked a little bit earlier about some guys that, you know, uh, could help with some of the bench depth. Are there any guys in the minor leagues, younger guys in the minor leagues that you think could make a fantasy impact for uh, fantasy players this year? And as a follow-up to that kind of, is this the year that we finally see Forrest Whitley crack the roster and be in the bullpen, you think? Yeah, Forrest Whitley is going to be another guy to watch in camp. Uh, This is sort of, you never want to say last chance or whatever, but this is really, this is kind of his time to to do it or not. Uh, Because, you know, they've gotten this, or at least they said they expect him to have an extra minor league option year. Um, he's coming into camp as a reliever. Uh, they're going to make him a reliever full-time and let him try to just come in and win a bullpen job uh, in camp. And obviously he's dealt with a lot of setbacks uh, in the minors from the, the drug suspension to, to multiple injuries uh, to just you know, not pitching well. Um he had a rough start to the last uh, to, the, uh, to the season in Triple A last year before the the ladder injury, uh, which I think was only he was pitching maybe eight games and then he had the ladder injury and didn't come back. But apparently, apparently he's healthy now. Um, it sounds like he said that he's you know he touched ninety eight bullpens um, this off season and if he's able to stay healthy and and has I mean he's he's got that sort of power arsenal that not a lot of their other bullpen candidates uh, for those, you know, those open jobs have. So, you know, if he, if he can actually come in and show that he can be a weapon for them there, they do seem to be very open to the idea of having him in the bullpen um, if he's able to win that job. But this is, it's kind of, it's kind of his time uh, to, to prove it. Um, so that's, that's one to watch. Um, and then for other prospects, I mean, Lopefito, like we said, he was their minor league hitter of the year, uh, minor league player of the year uh, last year in the system. And he would probably, I would say, of the position players, um, have one of the best you know, outside chances of cracking a roster with it. I mean, there's really not that many open spots, right? Like there's, there's not many open spots to begin with. And then there are more experienced players there who, you know, could, could uh, claim these spots. But but in terms of the prospects who might either compete for a job in camp or could be seen at some point, like maybe down the road during the season, I think Loprofito is sort of there on the cusp. Um, he's, you know, in terms of the position players, he's probably maybe maybe the closest. I, I, Dana Brown has really raved about Jacob Melton all offseason, but um, Jacob Melton hasn't played about double A yet, so, you know, he might need a little bit more time. Um from a, and then on the pitching side, I think uh, that your top guy you would be looking at is Spencer Arigetti, who was um, he was the system's minor league pitcher of the year last year. Um, he jumped from he started the year at high A, jumped to double A. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, started the year at double A. Uh, had a really rough first month, um, fixed some things, and then just uh, had, a, had an incredible May. Got a promotion to uh, to AAA in late June, and and he had some rocky outings there, but um, he is clearly their top pitching prospect. And I think on multiple occasions, St. Brown has said that he's a guy who could come up uh, at some point in this upcoming season and, and actually uh, 
Eric had, a, had an interview with him a couple of days ago where he said he also views this year as sort of his time. Now, whether whether because there, there are so many rotation options already in camp, um, I, I don't know. I mean, he'd be an outside shot to, to try to win one of those jobs uh, this spring, but but he would definitely be the next guy up if they were to need, I, I would assume, if they were to need somebody uh, to, to call up somebody during the season. Hey, Matt, we're getting to the end of uh, our time with you today, um, but I did have one more question for you, and we're going to pivot a- away from talking about specific uh, players on, on the Astros, and I, I want to learn a little bit more about about your experience. We were talking a little bit off air about, you know, last time we spoke with you, you were you're on the beat for the A's, and obviously that's a, a very different environment to be in. Um, than you are currently so if you could just speak a little bit to like uh, from what i remember this was like midway last year that you went from being at the chronicle the san francisco chronicle to the houston chronicle and if you could just tell us like what that's like in the middle of the season to be on a different beat you know in a new clubhouse so just wondering what that experience was like for you yeah, I mean, I moved over in uh, late June last year, so started about halfway through the season covering the Astros. And, um, you know, the biggest thing is just trying to get to learn the, a new clubhouse and a new organization. And it's, I don't know that you can do that necessarily in the first half of the season, but, you, you know, you start to sort of get to know the players and start to get to know you. Um, it, it was an adjustment just getting to know a new a new group Um aside from all the, you know, the geographical changes and everything like that. But, uh, but because, I mean, I, I think there is such sort of strong interest, I guess, here in the, in the Houston area, in the Astros, um, that, you know, you just kind of start to dive in and just start to write stories and um, kind of let the, the getting to know you process sort of, partially play out um, naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you know, they made the run uh, to the LCS, and, and so there's a, a playoff uh, component that uh, that kept things very interesting there toward the end of the year. And it was a relatively, I mean, quiet offseason for them until this this last few weeks with the Hater and Altuve thing um, signing. So, yeah, it's... It still sort of feels like year one, even though we're going into the second half or <laughs> the second year. Uh, but it'll be the first spring training, and spring training is always a good, uh, a good situation, good venue to, to you know have some of those uh, meet meetings with people maybe you didn't get to know as well last year, and, and you know strike up some conversations, build build relationships that maybe you didn't get to do when everybody was sort of locked into to in season mode. So, um, so. Camp, I think, should be uh, should be, you know, a valuable experience this year, and obviously they're playing to contend again. So, um, yeah, so it's going to be, I think, another interesting season to be to be covering for sure. Well, we know that you're going to do a great job there, Matt. Um, you know, you did a great job out in San Francisco. We know that you're going to do a great job in Houston, and we really appreciate you taking time out of here. We know that you're about to get really busy here in about a week or so. Uh, if you could tell everybody where they might be able to find you and about anything that you got coming out uh, recently that you want to, uh, or soon that you want to be plugging, please go ahead and do that at this point. Yeah. All our coverage is uh, HoustonChronicle.com. Um, and then uh, Twitter is uh, the handle that you said earlier at Matthew Kawahara. Um, 
tomorrow, Thursday, I think we're going to be publishing a, a pretty big um, Joe spot of just profile um, story about the background of the new manager and sort of how the, the journey that he took from uh, from being, you know, a, a high round draft pick to a guy who never made his debut in the major leagues as a player to the guy who spent the last almost two decades kind of climbing the coaching ranks of a, a couple of different organizations. And now he's manager of uh, one of the most consistently, I guess, successful teams of majors over the last decade. So um, that, that'll be tomorrow. And then from there, we're kind of just hitting the ground running into camp. Uh, there'll be some preview stories and then pitchers and catchers report next Wednesday and it's off to the races. So yeah, uh, he's that's wild. Well, uh, thanks again for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I'm Mike Carter. I'm the host for the Fantasy Baseball Beat tonight with my co-host, Chris Torres. We will sign off there, and we will talk to you again here in the next week. We have a couple more guests coming up, and we will let you know when those are coming out. Until then, peace. Be good to yourself. Please make sure you're taking care of your mental health and reaching out to people. If you need any help or resources, you know where you can find us. Chris is at Torres Takes on Twitter, and I am at the worst Twitter handle of all time, at MDRC0508. Thanks for listening. We've been with Matt Kawahauer from the Houston Chronicle, and we will be back with you again next week. Thank you.